We're going to be continuing our Bible study in the book of Genesis. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 44 here this morning. Before we do, though, let's pray and ask our Lord for his blessing on the word of the Lord here this morning. And also, while I'm praying for this, I also want to pray for the offering. We won't be passing out the offering plates, but if you do have an offering, we're going to pray for the blessing of it. Those of you that are at home, if you want to send it uh, or through the online services, we're going to just bless for the whole offering system, however it comes into the church, that God will honor it, okay? Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to pray for uh, all the offering that we're about to receive right now, Lord, however it comes into the church. Uh, we have to just adapt to the situation that we're in right now. Bless it and honor it and anoint it, Lord. And bless those who are, have been so faithful, Lord God, to support the church financially. And we also want to pray for the message here this morning that you would bless it and anoint it, Lord God. Give it life. And again, I ask you to help me as your servant to communicate it. Organize my thoughts, Lord. Be with your people as we hear the word of the Lord here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Very good. Okay. So as I said, we're going to be looking at chapter 44, but before we begin reading in Genesis chapter 44, I want to just quickly review some of the things that we covered last week. That way we can all catch up and uh, continue on with chapter 44 in the book of Genesis, okay? Very good. So we be, uh, be, be, last week we learned that Joseph wanted to find out if his brother Benjamin was still alive. And so he made sure that if the brothers were going to come back to Egypt to get more food, that they brought their brother Benjamin. And, uh, and, as, and he found out that he was alive. But secondly, Joseph wanted to know how he was being treated by his older brothers because Joseph wanted to know if Benjamin was being bullied or if Benjamin was being abused or if Benjamin was being hated on or in any way mistreated by his brothers because Joseph knew that his brothers were mean and they were mean-spirited. And so he wanted to make sure not only that his brother was alive, Benjamin, but that he was being treated well or how he was being treated by his brothers. We also focused on Jacob last week. And uh, jo Joseph is Jake, is Joseph, Jacob is uh, Joseph's dad. And we learned last week that Jacob had four wives, but Jacob's true love was Rachel. Jacob also had 12 sons and one daughter from these four wives. But Joseph and Benjamin, the two sons that he had with Rachel, were his, were his favorite sons above all the others. And we learned that Jacob's heart was broken because Rachel, his true love, died when she gave birth to Benjamin, and there's a whole story behind that. We don't have time to get into that. And his heart was also broken because as far as Jacob was concerned, Joseph, his favorite son, was also dead. Up to this point, no one in the family is aware that Joseph is alive and is the prime minister and governor of Egypt, except for the pharaoh himself. Joseph is the most powerful person in Egypt, and Egypt is a superpower nation in this time of history. So now the only one that Jacob has to remind him of his true love is Benjamin. And Jacob does not want to let Benjamin out of his sight. But Jacob is faced with a tremendous or a terrible dilemma. His family and the families of his sons have run out of food because of the severe famine. Simeon, one of his other sons, is in prison in Egypt and won't be released until the brothers return to Egypt with Benjamin. And the only way that they can purchase some more food is if the nine older brothers go back to Egypt with Benjamin. Otherwise, they would all be thrown into prison and prosecuted 
as spies. So this is Jacob's dilemma. What does he do? So, of course, the brothers were afraid to go back to Egypt and buy more food without their brother Benjamin because they did not want to be accused of being spies and thrown into prison. But Jacob didn't want his son to go because he didn't want to lose his son, his other son from Rachel. So we learned that Jacob finally does let Benjamin go back to Egypt with the nine older brothers. And, of course, Simeon is still in prison waiting this whole thing out. When they get to Egypt, they're invited to have dinner at Joseph's house. Simeon is let out of prison to join them in Joseph's house. And when Joseph arrives, he purposely shows special favor to Benjamin. In Genesis chapter 43, verse 29, it says this, And he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son. He asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. In Genesis 43, verse 34 says this, When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So Joseph was showing special favor to his brother Benjamin. And what else did we learn last week? Even though Jacob loved his son Benjamin, he had to love and trust God more than his love for his own son. And what does that teach us? Even though we love our kids, even though you may love your spouse, even though you may love uh, your family, we have to love God more than our spouse, more than our father, more than our mother, more than our kids. God has to be first. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay. Doesn't sound very nice, but that's what God demands. He wants to be number one and to trust him. We learned also, secondly, that Judah was probably the most wicked and cold-hearted of all of Jacob's sons and that he was a ringleader when the brothers wanted to kill Joseph and sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let me read the section of Scripture which talks or that deals with 20 years earlier uh, that specifically mentions Judah. In Genesis chapter 37, verses 26 through 28, it says this, Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. But now, 20 years later, Judah's heart and attitude towards Benjamin, Joseph's brother, is different. In Genesis chapter 43, verse 8, it says this. Then Judah said to Israel, or Jacob, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself, this is Judah speaking, and he says this. I myself will guarantee Benjamin's safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. I do not, if I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. So now Judah is a different man, but Joseph didn't know it. Thirdly, we learned that Joseph saw his brothers and Benjamin with him. And he saw that Benjamin was still alive and his brothers were telling the truth. Since it was not some emergency, we learned that Joseph completed his responsibilities in his service to God and the people of Egypt before meeting with his brothers. Number four, the brothers did not conceal the fact that the money that they had brought the first time to purchase food was found in their food containers and they willingly brought more money to purchase more food. And beside that, they also brought gifts to present to Joseph. 
As I mentioned before, the Bible tells us that Joseph purposely gives Benjamin more attention than the other 10 brothers. Joseph purposely serves Benjamin five times more food than the other 10 brothers. Joseph purposely shows favoritism towards Benjamin more than his other 10 brothers. Why? Because back when Joseph was 17, he was shown extra favor from his dad, Jacob. And as a result, Joseph's brothers were jealous of Joseph. Joseph's brothers were envious of Joseph. Joseph's brothers hated their brother Joseph. Joseph's brothers wanted to kill their brother Joseph. Then Joseph's brothers sold him to the Ishmaelites, and Joseph was taken to a foreign land and sold as a slave. So now Joseph intentionally shows favor to his younger brother Benjamin in order to observe his ten, his ten older brothers' reactions and their response and his treatment of Benjamin. Fortunately, we learn that Joseph's brothers demonstrated that they had matured and no longer allowed their fleshly passions to dominate them, and they were treating their brother Benjamin good. Joseph had to see this with his own eyes. Okay? Let me read what it says in Genesis 43, 34. Again, it says, When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's, so they feasted and drank freely with him. They didn't complain. They didn't mad dog Benjamin. They didn't uh, curse out Benjamin. They didn't do all kinds of evil things. Toward, no, no, no. They all had a good time. Everyone was cool. Okay. God also did a work in Joseph's heart. Because of Joseph's heartache and trials, he learned to exercise tremendous patience with his brothers. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 says this, my brethren, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, none of us like going through hard times or trials or tribulations. If you do, there's something wrong with you, okay? None of us like going through those hard times, but we do learn to trust God in those hard times. We do learn to believe God in those trials. We do learn the faithfulness of God in those tribulations. And we do learn and experience the power of God when we go through trials and tribulations. We understand patience. We learn to wait on God. Is everyone listening to what I'm saying? You cannot allow yourself as a Christian man or woman to get in a hurry or to be in a hurry, you have to learn to wait on the Lord, on his timing. In our flesh, we want to take care of things. In our flesh, we want to take action. In our flesh, we want to take care of business. In our flesh, we want to handle things. We want to take care of things. But God says, I want you to trust me. I want you to wait and trust and believe that I got this handled and I have your back. Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. But as, and so th these are all promises of God, and letting us know we have to trust in the Lord. But as we said last week, there was still one more test that Joseph wanted to 
give to his brothers to see if they had matured spiritually. And this final test is in chapter 44 of Genesis. And I want to go ahead and read that now at this time. Genesis chapter 44. Okay. Again, those of you online, hopefully you have the benefit of seeing the scriptures on your screens there. Those of us that are here, we're going to have to rely on our phones or on our Bibles. Okay. Genesis chapter 44, NIV version. It says this. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry. And put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once. And when you catch up with them, say to them, Why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. When he caught up with them, he repeated these, he repeated these words to them. But they said to him, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Very well, then, he said. Let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Then Judah went up to him and said, please, my Lord, Let your servant speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us, will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, He has surely been torn to pieces. And I have not seen him since. 
if you take this one from me too and harm him and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now, if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. So, what do we read here? He sends his 11 brothers away. Joseph sends his 11 brothers away back home with the food containers full of food. They're all happy. They just had a big old celebration. Everything was great. Everyone was having a great time. They thought everything was going really good. They got their brother back out of prison, and they seemed to be going home, and everything's great. But again, without their knowledge, all their money, the first amount and the second amount was put in the mouth of the food containers. And Joseph intentionally puts his personal silver cup in the food container belonging to Benjamin. And as we read, when they are a short distance off, Joseph sends his steward to catch up to them to let them know that someone stole Joseph's silver cup. And of course, the brothers panic. They are horrified. They are in shock. They can't believe that they are being accused of such a despicable uh, act and violation. Notice Joseph's words to the brothers in Genesis chapter 44, verse 4. It says this, why have you repaid evil? Why, why have you repaid good with evil? We need to remember those words when we get to the next chapter next week. Why have you repaid good with evil? And listen to what the brothers say in Genesis 44, verse 9. If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. The brothers said this not knowing that they were being set up. The brothers said this not knowing that it was in Benjamin's sack. And as we read, the brothers lowered their sacks, and the steward begins to search each one from the oldest to the youngest. And as the steward goes from container to container, he goes through Reuben's sack. Reuben is the firstborn. So he goes through Reuben's sack, and he finds nothing. And then he goes through Simeon's sack, and then he goes through Levi's sack all in the order of their birth. And of course, there is relief after each one is searched and the steward finds nothing. But he continues. And so he goes through Judah's sack because he's the fourthborn. And then he goes through Dan's sack. And then he goes through Naphtali's sack. And then he goes through Gad's sack. And then he goes through Asher's sack. And then he goes through Issachar's sack. And then he goes through Zebulun's sack. And he went through all of these people and he finds nothing. Nothing is missing. Nothing is found of the, of the cup. This is a relief, but at the same time, it is a terror. Why? Because now he's about to search Benjamin's sack. And in the back of their minds, they are desperately praying that it is not in Benjamin's sack. How many of you are tracking with me so far? Okay. But then, as we read, disaster strikes. The steward finds Joseph's silver cup in Benjamin's sack. How many of you know that sometimes in life, Disaster can strike us. Can you say amen? 
I mean, it just seems like everything is falling apart. And that's what these brothers were going through right here. All of a sudden, the steward finds a silver cup in Benjamin's sack, and man, their world came tumbling down. They were at this high point, celebrating, all excited, so happy. Everything was wonderful on the way back home with plenty of food. And all of a sudden, the bottom drops out. And everything's all messed up. Benjamin, Jacob's favorite son. Benjamin, the only one that is left of Jacob's memory of Rachel. Benjamin, Jacob's most precious possession. Benjamin is busted and caught holding the goods. And of course, the brothers are devastated. This is a living nightmare. This is the most horrific thing that could have happened. They are devastated and in shock and in torment. And so the steward begins, brings them all back to Egypt to face off with Joseph. And listen to what the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 44, verse 13. At this, they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in. And they threw themselves to the ground before him. They threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, what is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? And then in verse 16, it says, what can we say to my Lord? Judah replied, what can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now, my Lord, slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. Church, who is it that stands up to speak on behalf of Benjamin? Who can tell me? Judah. A few people answered. Thank you so much for those of you that were paying attention. Judah is the one who stands up and starts speaking up on behalf of Benjamin, Judah, the one who hated Joseph, the one who was the ringleader of all the brothers' hatred, of all the brothers' jealousy, but now he is a spokesperson for the brothers, and he is the one that cries out for mercy for his brother, Benjamin. Remember, Joseph himself at one time was crying out for mercy. Joseph himself at one time was pleading and crying out to his brothers for mercy and grace and to get him out of this now Judah is the one crying out for mercy on behalf of Benjamin. On the surface, Benjamin was totally guilty. The silver cup was found in his sack or in his food container. He has no defense. As far as Judah was concerned, his brother Benjamin was totally and completely guilty. As far as Judah was concerned, Benjamin sadly took the cup, stole it, put it in his sack. Judah had no idea that his brother Benjamin had been intentionally set up by Joseph. But even though it seems that Benjamin is totally guilty, Judah is, still goes to Benjamin's defense and is willing to give himself up for his younger brother. Genesis forty-four sixteen says this, what can I say to my Lord? Judah replied, what can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. In other words, there's nothing that can be done. He's guilty. The cup is in his sack. He took it. I'm shocked that he took it. I can't believe that my little brother took it. I can't believe that he, that he would do something like this, but it's in the sack, and he must, be, he must have done it, and he was foolish, and he did a stupid thing, but there it is. What can we say? We have no defense. And then Judah does something else that is shocking. In Genesis 44, 
Verses 17 and 18, it says this. But Joseph said, far be it for me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Then Judah went up to him and said, pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. Judah has the courage to walk up to Joseph to plead his case. In those days, if anyone would dare approach a high-ranking official like this, they would instantly be killed. For example, if we, if the president of the United States was giving a speech and somebody from the crowd started going up to the president, what would happen to that guy going up to the, to the president? He would immediately be taken by the security forces to prevent him from attacking the president of the United States. Would you all agree with that? Can you say amen? But in, in this situation, if anybody was found approaching a leader in Egypt, they would instantly be chopped up, instantly be killed with no mercy. So he took a risk. No one in his right mind would have dared approach an official this way. Judah did. And yet he was willing to do this in order to protect his brother Benjamin. Yet Judah literally put his life on the line when he dared to approach Joseph and speak on behalf of his brother. This was a major step and action on behalf of Judah, and it began to form a special bond between Judah and Benjamin that would last for hundreds of years. Now, I want to do something just for the sake of trivia, okay? Now, those of you that are here are going to be in a little bit of a disadvantage. I want you to go ahead and show that, uh, that map or that uh, timeline on the uh, screen for those that are listening online, okay? Online, on the screen, I'm putting up on the screen. You guys don't have that screen in front of you, unfortunately, but I'm going to do my best to explain to you verbally what's going on here. There's a timeline. On the first line of this timeline, it starts with the creation of the world at about 4,000 B.C., okay? So I know that I'm disappointing a lot of you. I know that I'm going against the rules of our public school system, but our earth is not that old, okay? It's not millions and billions of years, all right? If we go back biblically, it's in the thousands of years, okay? But I'm not going to argue that point right now. All right, so on the timeline, the beginning of creation, the beginning of the world with Adam and Eve is about 4,000 B.C. If we go to the second line, for those of you that are viewing this online, if you go to the second line, it begins in 1926 B.C. with Abraham, when Abraham is called to follow God, okay? Abraham is the beginning of the nation of Israel. Abraham is the beginning of the peoples that would follow God. You and I, because we are in Christ, we are seeds of Abraham, thanks to Jesus Christ, okay? So we go back all the way back to Abraham. Abraham is called to serve God, okay? If we continue on that second line, we see in 1841 B.C. that Jacob is born. And if we continue on that same second line, we see that Joseph is sold as a slave in Egypt. It shows it on that line there, on the second line, all right? 20 years later, Joseph's brothers bow down to him. Now let's move forward on the timeline that you see there on your screen, on the second line. And if we move forward on the timeline, over 400 years pass, and then enters a man by the name of Moses. Now, you don't know this right now, but Jacob and his sons totaled 70 people when they went into Egypt. By the time Moses came on the scene, there were close to 2 million people that were part of the nation of Israel. Moses leave, leads these people out of Egypt, 
Okay? And then Joseph comes on the scene. Joshua comes on the scene. And Joshua takes them into the promised land. That's on the timeline. Then on the timeline, you see the season of the judges that ruled Israel. And then on that same timeline, you see the beginning of the reign of the kings. The first king of Israel was King Saul. He was from the tribe of, who knows what the tribe of, who, who was a, Saul the tribe of what? Benjamin. Very good. I heard it over here. Very good, Saul. Saul uh, king Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. Okay? On that same timeline, on the second line, after Saul was the second king, and his name is David. Can anybody tell me what tribe was David from? Anybody know the tribe of David? No, it's not, Jesse is not a tribe. Jesse's the dad. David is from the tribe of Judah. Very good. Who said that? Daniel, did you say that? Thank you, Daniel. I know I was going to get an answer from you sometime. Okay, so David was from the tribe of Judah. Okay? Very good. Now we're going to move on to the third line. Those of you that are online, you're watching online, we're going to move to the third line. Okay? On the third line, we see the next king, and his name is King Solomon. Now, King Solomon, he's kind of like the best king that Israel had, and he's also the worst king. He's the best because under his reign, Israel became the most powerful nation recorded in history, the richest nation recorded in history. He expanded the borders of Israel to the point of no other king that's been able to do it. So he, was, uh, 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 he accomplished great things, but at the same time, he was also the worst king probably that Israel ever had. Why? Because he allowed compromise. He justified compromise and carnality. He started marrying foreign women. He began idol worship in Israel. He compromised and he caused all kinds of problems for the nation of Israel. Now, sadly, as a result of Solomon's sin and rebellion, Rehoboam, his son, became the fourth king and something happened in the reign of his son, Rehoboam. The Bible teaches us that during the reign of Rehoboam, Israel is divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And it's all because of King Solomon's sin. Okay? Let me read to you what it says here in 1 Kings chapter 12. Let me, before I read it, the ten tribes, ten of the tribes choose to separate and go on their own making up the northern kingdom. But two tribes choose to stick together to form the southern kingdom or the kingdom of Judah. Who do you think the two tribes are that form the southern kingdom? Who can, who can guess what the two tribes are that form the southern kingdom? Judah and Benjamin. Whoever said that, thank you. Very good. Thank you. Very good. Okay. Judah and Benjamin. Judah and Benjamin. So this pact that Judah makes with Benjamin to always care for him, to always partner with him, to always support him, lasts for hundreds and hundreds of years, even to the point where when the kingdom was divided, it was Judah and Benjamin that stuck together. Listen to what it says here in 1 Kings chapter 12. It says this. When Rehoboam, in verse 21, when Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered all Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, a hundred and 80,000 able young men to go to war against Israel and to regain the kingdom of Re for Rehoboam, son of Solomon. But this word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, 
This is what the Lord says. Do not go up to fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord and went home again as the Lord had ordered. What was happening there? Judah and Benjamin were forming an army to attack the 10 the ten uh, other tribes. But God says, no, 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 you're not going to do that. They're your brothers and you're not going to do that. So the kingdom remained divided. From Genesis chapter 43, all the way throughout Israel's history, Judah and Benjamin have always remained faithful to each other. Judah kept his word and watched over his younger brother, Benjamin. Guess what, church? God makes the same promise to you and to me. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The bond between God and his children cannot be broken. Can you say amen, church? The bond and the relationship between God and the church will not be broken. The bond between God and Israel, it will never be broken. God says to you, and he says to me, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So here's Judah standing up for his brother Benjamin, pleading for his brother Benjamin, crying out for mercy for his brother Benjamin, pleading and crying and begging in the same way that Joseph was begging and pleading and crying out for mercy from his brothers. Now Judah is pleading and crying out for mercy for his brother Benjamin. And we're going to get to see what happens next week. We're going to leave the poor guys pleading and crying and begging for one week. Okay? But just know this, church. If God heard Joseph's pleadings, and if God heard Judah's pleadings, don't you think he's going to hear your pleading and your crying and your begging and your hurt and your pain? He does, church. Even though it seems like nothing is happening, even though it seems like everything is all messed up, even though it seems like the bottom has dropped, that's how Joseph's brothers felt. Everything got all messed up. It was a scary, terrifying, horrible, awful situation. Their brother Benjamin, they felt, was a goner. He was going to be killed or imprisoned. They were thinking in their heads they were going to go back home without their brother, and it would result in their own dad dying of a heart attack or having a stroke because now he lost his other son, Benjamin. All these awful, terrible, wicked, evil, dark thoughts were going through there. Are you guys following me so far? I don't know if any of you have ever been in that situation where all you have is desperation and darkness and hopelessness and hurt and pain and fear and torment and everything is all messed up and you don't know how this is going to turn out and the worst of the worst has occurred. And yet God has a plan. And he's got it all under control. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, these are hard, hard lessons that you're showing us through Joseph and his brothers. And yet they're real. These are real things, real events. Terrible, awful, scary, traumatic things that happen to us in our own lives. And yet we have to believe that you got it all under control. That you are still God. 
and that you, Lord, are going to make a way, even though it seems in our own carnal mind, in our own limited minds, in our own human minds, that everything is totally messed up. Help us to know, Father, that you got it. You got it all under control. You have our back. Our job is to just trust you. Help us to trust you here today. If you're here this morning and you say, Jerry, I am not a Christian. I have never surrendered my life to Jesus, and I want to do that here today. If that's you here this morning, just lift up your hand, and we will pray. Anyone else says, Jerry, I am not a Christian, and I want to surrender my life to Jesus right now. If that's you here this morning, just lift up your hand. Those of you online, if you responded and you're saying to yourself, I need God in my life. I'm in a scary situation. I'm in a desperate situation. I'm in a terrible situation. The bottom has dropped out. I've lost my job. I've lost my health. I've lost my family. I'm all messed up. Things are falling apart. I don't know what to do. Well, I want you to know there's a God in heaven that loves you. And he cares about you. And he wants to help you. Even in your desperation, he wants to help you. Even in your disobedience and rebellion, he wants to help you if you will cry out to him. So if you're out there right now listening and you say, Jerry, I need Jesus in my life. I want Jesus in my life. I want to I, I become his child. I want to I be born again. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. If that's your plea, I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance right now. Just follow me in these words. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you and I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of all my sins. I thank you, Jesus, that you died and rose again and you live forevermore and you promise eternal life to anyone who would surrender to you. And today, I willingly surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, for those of you that are out there right now, you are Christians, you love the Lord, you're followers of Jesus, but you just need prayer right now. There's things going on in your life that are very intimidating, things going on in your life that you don't understand, things in your life that don't make any sense. Maybe the bottom has dropped off out from under you and you're you're scared and you don't know what to do. If that's you here this morning and you need purchase, lift up your hand right now. We're going to pray for you right now. Anyone at all. Father, in the name of Jesus, to those that are here right now and present before me that are going through a difficult season in their life, that are going through a scary season in their life, that are going through a dark season in their life. We bring them before you, Lord, and we all come before you right now in the name of Jesus. And we, Lord God, ask you to help us to trust you and to know that somehow, some way, you are going to work this out, Lord. You're going to make this work out. Those that are online right now, Lord, and in their homes, They're Christians, and yet they're hurting. They're going through some difficult times. They're going through some difficult challenges. And Lord God, we pray for them right now in the name of Jesus that you will encourage them right there, right where they're at, in their kitchens or in their living rooms or in their bedrooms, in their hospital rooms, wherever they may be right now. We pray that you will strengthen them, Lord, and encourage them and let them know, Father, you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. Lord God, you are with us to the very end. Help us to trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you, church. Amen. We're going to continue this next week, okay? Praise God.